Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. This is your host, Christy Haberman, and Kai in spirit. I brought her ashes home about a week ago, and she is now sitting on my desk so that I can still continue to record with her. I feel her presence with me every day, and I miss her tremendously. Interesting, though, I had this huge fear that it would reactivate my grief surrounding Christopher. And it actually has not. I miss her and I cried a lot, but I didn't have that traumatic response that I had when Christopher died. And so I took a couple of weeks off. I had a little bit of a creative block in trying to figure out what to talk about on the podcast. I, um, struggled with that a little bit. And even today, a little bit, I'm still struggling with it. Part of me thinks that I've covered it all, but there is no way that I've covered it all. I just am drawing a blank on some of my topics. But in my attempt to find something to talk about, I went browsing the internet. And that is always a mistake. Let me tell you. But I did it. And so when I googled grief and loss, Always, it comes up with loss of a job, loss of a spouse, loss of a relationship. And I really think we're doing a disservice to people when we say the loss of a spouse, a grandparent, a sibling. That may be for those ones. But I just don't think that it compares to the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, even if it's a committed relationship, I just see significant difference. Now, those things are all traumatic. And you do experience feelings that are uncomfortable. But when we take and we put all of the uncomfortable feelings that we're having, and we put them into this one big bucket, and we say, this is grief, right? And we say, okay, so you can do these things, And that these things are going to help all of this grief. I don't think that's necessarily true. Because I've lost a job. Uh, I got fired from a job. And it was traumatic. Without a doubt, it was traumatic. It affected my sense of self. It affected my self-confidence. And to a certain degree, I still struggle with the... um, side effects of that because it takes me a long time when I have a job to not worry about getting fired it was that traumatic and but it was nowhere near what happened to me when Christopher died so I think there's a little bit of a struggle on that and I think I've talked about this before when I was writing my book, and I should do another literature search. I haven't done one for a while. 
But when you go out there and you, as a therapist, right? If I have somebody that comes to me with a problem that I'm not familiar with, you go out and you do research and say, okay, so the researchers say that these things help people with grief. So I did that research. So I said, and it was in 2015, my grief is this. So what can I find that, and at that time I was looking for the magic pill, the magic pill that was going to make everything all better. What can I find I was in late 40s, 50s, and developmentally, your brain is very different when you're 60 from when you're 50 or when you're 40 or when you're 30. And so I'm reading some of these and I'm like going, that doesn't quite fit me. Doesn't quite fit what I'm going through and what I suspect other people are going through. So that don't fit. But the majority of research out there is done on widows and widowers. There is very few studies done on child loss. So my frustration is when I was cruising the internet is that it's all lumped together. And I'm not trying to minimize those other losses, not in the least little bit. But what I'm saying is, is that each loss is unique. And this is where my audience comes in. You need to talk about it. You need to talk about it. You need to get comfortable about talking about it. We're in the midst of cultural change when it comes to grief. With the advent of Instagram, especially because there's grief Instagram. There's grief on Facebook. It's, uh, I notice that the groups aren't as prevalent and that's mostly posting. But if we create these conversations and I see them in podcasts too, and I'll get to that here in a second, but we need to start creating these conversations so that the people doing the research will start understanding that I had this experience of losing my job. I've lost a relationship when I was dating, um, significant relationships. I've lost a parent. I have lost grandparents, but none of them, none of them, a physiological response is a response that's uncontrollable. The way I responded when Christopher died was beyond my control. It's one of the scariest events of my whole life was when that happened. And I think that's what sets it separate. Is that you put that away. Is that there's a physical response beyond anxiety and depression, beyond just feeling sad. Like I had a, this physiological response and then not sleeping. I called this podcast Grieving Insomniacs because just couldn't sleep no matter what. I was taking medication for sleep. I was taking melatonin for sleep and I was still up at 3 a.m. every night. Some nights I'd stay up until the next morning. And my doctors will tell you that, oh, the CPAP was the answer. But even when I had a CPAP and it was helping me breathe that night, I still didn't sleep. And I had bouts of insomnia before Christopher died, but nothing like after. The chest pains that I had after 
that I still get very upset about because the doctors never evaluated me correctly. But now I have that I just got, and I'm sure it's because of the grief. So the physiological responses to grief. And the other thing that I kind of want to talk about today is the changes I've seen in my brain. My inability to focus has greatly increased. My inability to soothe myself has tremendously increased. And sometimes there's times when I feel like I'm just spinning. And I was never like that before Christopher died. And yeah, maybe age comes into it. But I don't know. I I struggle. I think that a big part of it is what happened with Chris. And here lately they've been talking about grief brain. And grief brain shows up for me in memory loss. I have a lot of memory loss. Short-term memory, long-term memory. Those first years of Christopher dying, I cannot recall. Thank God I have Facebook memories so I can see what some of the stuff that I was posting. But it's just a blur. And it still is in many ways. And I think back to, and we read the book. I recommended it. She told the story. It had been like 20 years. She told the story of her child dying. And her brain responded as if it happened in the current moment. Her body responded in the same way as if it was the current moment. And so her body remembered it in current time, not past time, current time. So, and I think this is important for people to understand about the difference between other grief types and child loss is that because they're almost always traumatic. I mean, even if your child had a chronic illness and they took a period of time to die, I still believe that it's traumatic because there's always the why me's, why them, how could they, they didn't get to live the way they needed to live. And I think that's part of what makes it a struggle is because they're young, right? We can somewhat rationalize when, well, if it's older, you know, I don't know if I had a husband in my 30s that died, if I could rationalize they lived a good life. But that's part of what I think about. Or if they lived the life the way that they wanted to live their life. But it's easier to rationalize when they're older. And I see people posting about the joy they brought to their life. And, and Christopher brought me a lot of joy. But I still have a lot of struggles with it. A lot of struggles with it. So we went to Omaha. So Christopher was a nurse, a neonatal nurse. I don't know if I've ever talked about this. He was a neonatal nurse. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to travel, be a traveling nurse, and he never got to travel. And on my bucket list is I'm going to travel for Chris, and I'm going to do my podcast from different places where he would have wanted to go. Now, I'm not sure Omaha, Nebraska was a place where he would wanted to go, but husband had a conference there, so I went. And grief just hit me hard. I was so sad. And I was like, and missing my kids. Like, I know they were older, but, and Crip Collins still alive, but I miss them. I miss the life we had with them. I miss the, th- miss the things I couldn't do with them. I just, I just miss them. And so I was really missing Christopher. It was an atrium where they have birds and different animals. And they had little plasks. 
and in those plaques they had people's names and when I was just feeling the sadness so much for Christopher and I was wanting to cry and and then I seen this plaque that said Christopher had a different last name. I was going to take a picture of it, but there were so many people around. Grief different during child loss. And so now we know that they're, by doing the PET scans of that lady's brain, we know that the body still remembers, remembers everything. So I did a little bit more research on trauma in the brain. So, and I think that's the other piece that makes grief of a child different it's the traumatic piece of it because a lot of times it's due to accidents to do the things that didn't happen you know or did happen grieving moms just struggle so this is term called neuroplasticity and that's your brain's ability to alter neural connections so what that means is there's a reward pathway it goes from behind your ear about to the middle of your brain and then down your brain stem so in people with addictions that reward pathway gets activated so the more that it gets activated the more they use the substance the stronger that neural pathway gets and so EMDR is based off of the ideas of the neural pathways. So when you do EMDR, which is based off of the eye movements, you process all of the traumatic memories that are stored on that neural pathway. So having gone through EMDR myself, but I'm also an EMDR practitioner, it's amazing all the different experiences that are on one different neural pathway so on one of mine that i did emdr and this is one i was just learning um, i felt like something was stuck in my throat like and what i wanted to work on is uh, i have a hard time standing up for myself i have a hard time advocating for myself i'm much more willing to accept it at least I was until this experience. And so I felt like there was something stuck in my throat. And I was like, God, you know, what was that? And I could feel it being pulled out. And then as we continued to process, there were other memories where I lost my voice, where it was taken away because of parental figures or maybe school, those kind of things. And as I'm sleeping the night before, I woke up and... I realized that when I was three years old, I drank paint, lead paint. It's back in the 60s, and I drank lead paint. And so they took me to the hospital, and I had to have my stomach pumped. And if you think about your physiological responses, right? So back in those days, they didn't give you drugs. They wrapped you up because this happened to me twice. Once I had to get stitches in my eyes. So they wrap you up so you can't move, and they hold you down. And I imagine you're crying and you're screaming and they shove the tube down my throat so that I could take the charcoal and make my, make me puke. And I realized that that neural pathway that said you can't speak up for yourself because if you think about it, they literally science, silenced me with that tube going down my throat. Now it was necessary, otherwise I would have died. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the body remembered that I couldn't speak up for myself. And then there was this neural pathway 
where every memory after that, that I couldn't speak up for myself, it was stored on there. So in grief, we have these neural pathways that are developed. And in these neural pathways, there are also other memories that are similar to the memory of your child dying. And those are all stored in that pathway. And so the, the more that you, and we can't help it, the more that you think about those pathways, the stronger that it gets. And so then you have these long-term effects of chronic stress. So what are some of the long-term effects of chronic stress? Inflammation is one. In fact, after my son died, I have a high ANA, which is a measurement of inflammation in the body. The infusion I have on my heart is inflammation caused. You know what causes inflammation? Stress. Significant amounts of stress. And there are some people that say that the effects of long-term chronic stress can be relieved. But when it comes to the loss of a child, I don't know that it can. I think that we need to learn how to manage. But it's not stress in the sense of what other people have day to day. Like I have a stressful job uh, that I deal with people and customers, I guess you'd call them, every day. I have employees that I deal with that I, you know, it stresses me out. People have the stress of maybe having to make the rent, pay the bills. So when the bills are paid for that month, you would hope that there would be a sense of relief then you don't have to worry about it again until the next payday when you got to pay the bills. But when it becomes chronic, months and months and months of it, it changes It changes your brain. The other thing that you become is hypervigilant. Now, I am hypervigilant about death. It's a Sturgis rally right now. And I've heard life flight fly over top of us three times, which means there have been three serious motorcycle accidents just today. If there were car accidents, I'd be panicking and calling my son, making up some kind of story about why I needed to talk to him just to make sure that him and his family were safe. When I read the newspaper, I see car accidents about, you know, an elderly person dying. I'm like, where's my dad? How long would it take him to notify me if my dad was dead? Like that kind of anxiety is not going to go away. It's just not. So we have to learn to live with it and understand it. So that's where the other piece of this I want to talk about is, is that we have to accept the changes that have occurred in our brains. So if you think about it as a brain function, instead of like that you're depressed or that you have anxiety and start to realize that it's physiological, it's in your brain, it becomes less stigmatizing. And we definitely need that in grief. So if you have somebody that you're trying to talk to about the brain changes that you're having, and they say, oh, well, you're going to need to go to counseling. That's only one piece of it. That's only one piece of it. You need to start doing things that help your brain. And meditation is one. Progressive relaxation creative projects. I've seen a lot of grieving people on Instagram that do creative projects. All of those things are healing. I made a quilt for Christopher. Well, halfway made a quilt. I don't know how to make quilts, but I tried. I still have it. I will 
finish it someday, but I spent a lot of time trying to heal myself by making that quilt. I did a lot of journaling. I regret it now, but kind of not because I burnt them all. But I just didn't want anything to happen to me and then have Colin read my journals and realize how much pain I was in. How that would be different than <laughs> doing this podcast, but it is. In my mind, it is. Because uh, there's a lot of things that I don't share on this podcast that I wrote in those journals. I know there is, which is why I made the decision to burn them. And in a way, and I did used to do this when I was a counselor, especially when I was working with adolescents. Um, they came in and had this, something that they were really struggling with. It didn't matter what it was. I had the, I put this piece of paper on the wall and I taped it up there. And then they, they drew symbols, words, everything that you can imagine. And then we burnt it as a way of releasing it, as a way of releasing it out of the body. Yoga is another one. Any kind of exercise, walking, spending time in nature. But you do it with intention. So what attention means is it's focused. It's focused attention. So if I'm going out to a walk for a walk and I'm doing it for grief reasons, then on that walk, I'm going to drop different thoughts along the way, like literally letting them fall off my body of things I'm trying to release and you leave them on the sidewalk. And the energy of them is cleaned by the earth. And then you can continue on. But it's the focused intention of that. So if you're doing craft projects, it, you focus your attention on whatever it is that you're trying to cope with or trying to deal with that will help you release those emotions that you have. The other thing is, is that if you haven't tried EMDR, I would highly recommend that you find an EMDR therapist. It will not fix your grief. I promise you it will not fix your grief. But it takes away the ouchies involved in your grief, the traumatic responses. And here's the other thing. I 100% believe that our previous life experiences really impact how we grieve. I know it did for me. And there were situations that I had to resolve and take care of before I can fully heal from Christopher. And I don't even know if healing's the right word, but better to cope with Christopher. And so if there's anything that I can share with you that's going to make a difference in, in what's going on with you is to try to find an EMDR therapist. And hopefully there's some out there that are specializing in grief. Because my therapist I went to at the time said that she couldn't heal my grief. Well, I wasn't trying to heal my grief. I was trying to heal my trauma. And I was trying to heal all of those events that were stored on the same neural pathway as my trauma was so that I could move on, resolve the traumas, and just cope with Christopher. And it was very effective, by the way. And I did not realize how much that was held within my body. And ever since then, I've become a very much of a body therapist is I ask people, if you're feeling this feeling, where does that feeling live in your body? And if people are attuned, sometimes they're not. 
and they'll give me a fast answer. And I'm like, no, like seriously, think about it. Where is that stored in your body? And then I bring body awareness to the feeling and then ask them to identify the age of the feeling. So how old is that? And that helps you pinpoint where their trauma happened at. And you can do that with yourself. You don't need a therapist to help help you do that. But you do need to understand understand yourself. So I talked way more than I thought I was going to be able to talk to about this. So I hope there was something that you learned from this podcast, some insights on where you can go to get more information. An EMDR therapist, start to understand your own emotions and start talking about your grief so we can create this cultural change where people don't equate losing a job with losing a child because it is not the same. It's very different. And I don't, I'm not trying to minimize the loss of a job. But I am saying that my experience is different than your experience. And they shouldn't be in the same pot. Because you're going to run into a therapist or some other kind of healer that's going to treat the person that lost a job the same way that they would treat the person that lost a child. And I'm sorry, they're not the same. They're different. And so that's what this podcast was about. So thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging in there. Um, If you have topics, please leave me a message. Um, Email me, Instagram me. I sure would appreciate it. Thank you, and I'll see you next week.